Welcome to the Strata Leadership Show, a podcast designed to be an oasis for leaders who are seeking inspiration, insight, and understanding. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Meller, and today our guest is Jeremiah Shaw. And Jeremiah is someone I have a great deal of respect for. We work together, and he is the Executive Vice President of Strata Leadership. And I know people are not supposed to be indispensable, but in my opinion, Jeremiah is an indispensable person in my life. I think the world of him. His wife is Whitney, and they have three kids, Huntley, Walker, and Tinley. Jeremiah, we're glad to have you on the show today. How are things in your world? You know, things are interesting. We're in 2020 and in the middle of this virus crisis. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know this. I've been careful with who I share it with, but we were on spring break when this all hit and we decided to extend that. So we are moving into uh, one month here in Colorado. <laughs> so I would guess that the, part of the reason you're not telling people that is because of the uh, jealousy that would then uh, surface. Uh, what's happening in Colorado right now? What's the weather like? It's uh, about 55 degrees. The snow's quickly melting. We're moving into mud season. The rivers are quickly turning brown. And so it's a beautiful time for a walk or a hike, but not so much fishing, which is uh, what I love to do. Well, I'm sorry that we are going through this. I'm actually happy that you get to uh, be there at, um, at a place where you're surrounded by your family and you've been able to stay in a home provided to you by your family. Um, but I also know that we're all in the same boat on this. Our hearts are broken by just how much everybody's going through. And I'm glad that you're there with your family. I also know that your heart is really focused on how do we help people uh, during this challenging time. So looking at your life, when was it that you began to realize that perhaps people looked at you as a leader? Maybe you looked at yourself as a leader? When was it that you realized that that may be something that you, um, that you could do, that people saw you that way? Yeah, for me, looking back, I'm, I'm the oldest of three boys. I have a younger brother who's four years. Uh, he is the youngest and then one right in between us. So we're all two years apart. And when I turned 15 or 16, I really started butting heads with my dad. And I'll never forget that we were outside in the, in the driveway and he looked at me and said, listen, uh, whether you want to act right or not, your brothers are going to act how you act. They're watching you and they pay attention. Um, and, and you better start acting right. And I think in that moment, I realized that there was some sort of influence there. And it was an empowerment of, I'm not a kid anymore. So tell me about where you grew up. Where, where did you grow up in America? What was life like for you? Yeah, I was, my, my father was a family therapist. He was a director of Edmond Family Services, which is a counseling agency. I grew up in uh, North Edmond on three acres. Uh, my mom was a nurse and she, about five years in, she decided to homeschool all three of us. Actually the entire way through. So really grateful for that experience uh, from both of my parents. So uh, I had a really peaceful childhood. I think the, the chaos really came from me if there's any chaos in the house. So did you uh, always live in Oklahoma? Born and raised. Uh, yeah, born and raised. Thought I would uh, move away for college. Ended up going to the University of Central Oklahoma, which is where my father went. Um, worked full-time through college, which was a really good experience. That kept me out of a lot of trouble and 
through that, did a lot of volunteering. And again, that a lot of those experiences impacted uh, my leadership and where I am today. So I know that you have done graduate work in different studies, uh, different areas, but now you're focusing your, your master's work on leadership. Um, you, you've been around a lot of leaders and you've also been uh, a big part of programs designed to assist leaders. When you think about the greatest challenge facing leaders right now, and let's focus on emerging leaders, the people who recognize that this is uh, where they're going to go. They're, they're moving from the, the role of being a, a doer to being the orchestrator of the doing. They're, they're in that transition to being a leader, that identity shift that is so tough. When you think about the greatest challenge facing emerging leaders right now, what would you say that is off the top of your head? I, there's two things that actually come to mind. Uh, the first one is something I'm really passionate about, and it's living a healthy rhythm as a leader. Um, we're in a time where you're, you can be constantly plugged in, um, which we're seeing a lot of the mental health effects on that for leaders, especially young leaders. I think myself included young leaders, we, we fall into this trap of wanting to prove ourselves. Um, myself, I'm an ENFP and Nathan, you and I get to work together enough that I work for pats on the head. And so I work for approval, um, which can be a really dangerous thing as a young leader coming out of that shoot. Um, you can really burn yourself out. Um, and to fall into some really uh, big traps. So that healthy rhythm, not chasing that. You know, I think the second thing as, as a le- young leader is realizing that there's no magic pill, that it, it doesn't just click overnight. This is a journey and you've got to have patience. And I think that's one thing that I've been around some, some wise leaders in my lifetime. I've, I've been really fortunate. Um, and I know I've gotten to where I am, not by my own doing, but a lot of these uh, wiser leaders saying, hey, uh, it takes time um, and, and have patience. So when you look at your own self-awareness and, and you're describing your, your personality uh, type there with the Myers-Briggs at the ENFP, um, the extroverted, uh, intuitive feeling, perceiving kind of person, and you're saying, hey, the, I'm someone who looks for reward. And then you get, kind of gave a, a warning about that. What um, examples might you have about your own life where you felt like I learned something there about uh, the, the, the reward system and how it impacts you? Yeah, no, I can think of one specifically. I'll, I'll, I'll leave names and organizations out of it. But, you know, I was this is happened several years ago. I was just having my first kid, my oldest daughter. She's about to turn nine. So we, we just had her first kid. My wife was, uh, working part time. We were trying to figure out how she could stay at home for that season. And I remember I was, I was doing business development and sales and I was really proud of the, what I had been accomplishing in, in the past few months. And I remember having a conversation with my boss and he was promising a lot of big things and a lot of rewards and the agreement, you know, it was a, it was a high commission job. And I was really proud of myself and what I was going to be able to bring home to my family and uh, so I was working for that pat on the head. I was really happy with my job, happy with where I was at. Um, because of that verbal, um, just that verbal agreement with that, with that boss, looking back, I probably should have had that agreement in firmer writing because <laughs> I ended up not getting that commission. And so I think for me, of I'm a big trust person. I want to trust everybody, but when you have a family and you have responsibilities, you start learning that 
um, you've got to be careful with what you're chasing as a reward. Um, for me, I can't just get patted on the head. I've got to, I've got to provide, I've got to keep lights on. I want to give my kids access to things. So, um, I, I hope that that answered that question, Nathan. No, it, to me, that's a, that's a great answer. And, you know, I think we're all susceptible to that because we, I think leaders specifically, they want to prove to people, Hey, you made a good decision by putting me in this role that they want to build confidence. They're aware that success opens other doors of opportunity and they can create that fixed mindset versus the growth mindset, which is that mindset of when I hit the wall, when I, when it doesn't work, this is not the end of everything, but this is a part of the learning process. So when you, when you look at your life as a leader and you think about um, what that really means, that you are serving other people, you're trying to, to help them uh, succeed. What would you say are some of the most important skills of a leader? Mm-hmm. That if you're pointing someone out, and, and, and granted, we believe that everyone can learn to be something. Some do that more naturally than others, but everyone can learn. But when you're looking out there, scanning the horizon and saying, that's the kind of leader that I would want to follow, that's the ideal type of leader that I would like to become. What are some of the things that you're seeing? I, I run at a pretty fast pace. Um, I actually did an assessment earlier this week that one of the questions was, if you had a chance, would you drive a race car? And I answered yes. And I noticed that about myself and I know I can be the highest energy in the room. And some of the most impactful leaders that I've seen that I, I really want to be like and end up like are these People that I see as uh, people of peace, people of calmness, um, they walk into a room and it just brings that energy level down in a great way where they don't have to raise their voice to lead. They speak and people just lean in. Um, that's what I really want to move into uh, over the next 30 years of my life. Looking back at uh, your life and, and also your, your wife, um, she was a stellar athlete as you were. What were some of the influences like athletics and other things that were part of shaping who you are today? Yeah. You know, when I was younger, I, I loved athletics. Looking back now, what I really loved is how the team worked together. I was never, I play, I play baseball and it wasn't the individual aspect uh, of athletics that I wanted to achieve. I didn't want the attention on myself. I wanted to bring the team together. And I don't think I could have identified that when I was younger. My biggest frustrations with coaches is when um, they would highlight one player when I knew that there were four other players on the team that contributed to that win. And I bring that now to the office too. And I want everybody to know that we did this as a team. I want to bring the team together. Um, Back to the question though, I love the outdoors. I love mountain biking. I love fly fishing. Those are the things that calm my heart and that give me some of the headspace to really think through some things that I want to focus on as a leader. So when you think about the times in your life when you feel like you've been the most effective as a leader, can you describe what was happening? Why, why did some situations seem to turn out better than others? When you think of yourself as the ideal, I'm, I'm being really effective right now, describe your approach to, to things when, when it's working for you. You know, I, looking back and, and trying to find my sweet spot in that, I think moments of crisis is what I enjoy um, as a leader, not 
you know, that sounds wrong, I guess, but my heart obviously isn't for crisis, but stepping into crisis as a leader, I feel like I'm really good at stepping in, identifying where everybody's at emotionally, and then trying to meet them there. But then looking at the crisis at hand of, okay, what are the one, two, three, what are the priorities that we need to step in as a team? And then being able to delegate that out. I have a really smart team. I'm definitely not the smartest one in the room. And, you know, that's something that I've had to learn how to be okay with. In fact, I want to be the dumbest one on my team. That's my goal someday uh, in that. But um, I love crisis moments. I was actually a biology major the first couple of years of college. I wanted to be an ER doctor. And for that reason, I loved high intensity moments, um, those crisis moments where I could come in, bring the team together, focus on the issue and handle it. So these moments in life when you pivot, you start off as a, a biology major. Um, I know your family. I know your, your siblings. Uh, I appreciate your humility, but uh, everyone in your family, I, I would think, has a, an IQ that is enviable. But you saw something that you saw that moment of I'm in this biology class. I'm looking to the future and, and you would have been a great emergency room doctor. And I know we both have a great deal of appreciation for people who serve that way but you chose a different path and you've had these moments where you pivot. I've gone from this to this, to this. Mm-hmm. How do you know when it's time to pivot to something different? Like where you are right now, you, you made the decision. I'm going to be uh, in the world of um, developing people, leadership and development, organizational development, things like that. Is there something that you feel that helps guide you when you're making those big decisions? Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, and my answer will probably scare you as uh, my boss. And, and, and I hope you understand this as a friend. You look back at my li- life, I have pivoted every, uh, you know, really five, four to seven years, four to eight years. Um, I don't mind change. I'm somebody that I make friends easily. Uh, I can, I feel like I can learn things quickly. Um, and I appreciate that about myself. Um, but in those moments where I'm trying to figure out what do I want to do next, I ask myself two questions. One is, Am I learning? What am I learning? Am I being stretched? Am I being challenged? I get bored pretty easily. Um, the second thing is, am I contributing in, in a maximum capacity, capacity type of way? Or is it something I could pass off to the person behind me? I'm really big on, on hiring somebody that I feel like can take my spot. Um, I feel that took me a couple of years to get used to, uh, you know, get past that, that threatening moment um, of having somebody that could really undercut you and they could pay less and push you out. And I realized really quickly that that's weak. That's weak mindedness. Um, I want, I want to be challenged. I want somebody right next to me. That's pacing me. Um, maybe a little bit of competitiveness, maybe not. It's again, coming back to that. How do we build a team that competes together and wins together? And then when the time's right someday, if I need to spin out and go try something else new and challenge myself and grow and contribute somewhere else, I know the organization is not going to hurt because I've led somebody uh, that can take my spot. I appreciate your vulnerability uh, and your transparency on that. You you know, um, for me, I've been a a university professor. I've uh, been an administrator. I've been an executive in a company, you know, executive coaching, things like that. And so people will ask me sometimes about that, of why did you have these different roles? And in all honesty, I have had different jobs, but I don't think I've ever had a different mission. I feel like those were just different ways to get the job done of how do you serve people? How do you open doors of opportunity? How do you do these things? The title was uh, 
different, but the goal was not. Do you feel like you've had something similar or do you feel like you've really had significant um, shifts in, in direction? You know, if you would ask me that question five years ago, I'd have been really insecure. I think about my career, um, looking back, I, I did make those shifts. And at the moment it made sense as I stepped out of, it, I look back, I'm like, wow, I'm doing something completely different. But now I'm looking back. I don't know if you've read the book range. It was a really good and insightful book for me to read because it, it made me realize that being able to dabble in a lot of different things, I get to put on different goggles during complex strategic situations. And I get to bring different insights that I've gained from these different roles. Um, personally though, Nathan, I see every job and career as a platform to impact people. Um, it's not about what I do every day. It's about who I'm with and how I, how I help people. Um, so my every job, every career move I've made, it's been about people, whether that was my family or the people and the team that I'm going to get to join and lead. Um, and I hope that never changes. I don't want to ever make it about the job. I know some people are in love with their job and I think that's okay for a leader to, to love their, their career and, and their trade. Um, but we can't ever forget the people. Um, and we, I feel like my identity is not tied up in my, my career. Um, I am who I am at home. I am who I am with friends. I am who I am at the office. And so that's something that I'm really proud of. And again, if, if everything burns down tomorrow, I'm still Jeremiah. And, and I think as a leader, sometimes we lose that. And I think that can be detrimental to us personally. So the book that he's referencing is a book called Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. And it's uh, written by David uh, Epstein. Mm-hmm. And it's one that I, I think that you are not alone in. That's one of those uh, books that when you read that, it does force you to reconsider some of the assumptions that you made about uh, specialization. And, and then you start seeing that a lot of the great breakthroughs in life have come from people who have had more of a generalist approach to life. So speaking of resources, you mentioned a book like that, that it was not an assigned reading. Um, when you think about how you gain new insights, what are some things that you do to grow as a leader? Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, well, I, I try to read a lot. Um, I've got three small kids, so the quiet times uh, are, are limited right now. So when I do read, sometimes it's audible. I would suggest any, everybody get, have an audible account. $15 a month, invest in yourself. It's easy. So um, that's the best way that I, I usually find new ideas. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I love podcasts. I love different viewpoints, different ideas. I love things that challenge me and make me uncomfortable. Um, where it really challenge, challenges my beliefs of, well, why do I believe that? And then you can land, do I still believe that? Do I want to change that belief? Or do I reaffirm that belief and, and can communicate that better? Um, I think for me, my mind just hardly turns off. One of the things I've found is being in, in the woods and journaling. Writing has been a, a great therapeutic tool for me, um, especially over the last five years as a father, a husband, an employee, and, and, and leader. It's good. Looking at those challenges, um, leaders are drawn to challenges. It's one of those things that when you are looking at where are the leaders, the, the leaders are always going to be where the problem is. They are drawn to it because they recognize uh, what that is. I want to close this out 
by having you describe what are some of the hurdles that you have had to face in life to be able to uh, get where you are now. And, and I, I don't say that in a sense of, hey, we've got it all figured out now or this or that. There, there is not a time in life when you're not dealing with hurdles. But there's a confidence boost that you look back on challenges you've gone through and they've helped shape who you are now. What are some of the defining hurdles that you've had to face in life to get where you are today? Hmm. You know, I, looking back, I, I've been fortunate. I've had a lot of friends come down with terminal illness. I've had a lot of friends hit strong financial crisis. Um, I know I have hit those moments before. I think one of the things that I, I stepped into a role with a nonprofit right out of college, I started um, the fall of 2008. And if you can remember the fall of 2008, it was crazy. Um, I stepped on that Monday that week was our annual banquet. We were supposed to raise uh, about a quarter of our annual budget. And that the morning of the banquet was the financial crisis. And I had just gotten married. Uh, and of course, her dad was asking me, how are you going to provide financial crisis? Tits. We obviously raised just a fraction of what we were hoping. We ended up going on reduced pay. And I quickly realized, and working for a nonprofit, you don't make a lot anyways, but even when you're in a financial crisis working for a nonprofit, there's this thing a lot of them do where if you don't have the money, you don't get paid, which is a crazy idea for a lot of people. Uh, but so I went, we went three, four months without getting paid. And that was really good to start our marriage off in that crisis moment of getting to talk that out, really setting some uh, pillars of our marriage and relationship of, Hey, no matter what we're going to be, we're going to be happy. Um, it may be hard, we're going to find joy in it, but there's something we're going to learn through this hard season challenge. Um, and Nathan, we're in that moment right now, right? We're about to enter this uh, recession or it looks like we are um, definitely sliding that way. We're in this crisis of this virus. We're trying to learn more about, we don't know the full impact yet. And I told my wife, I said, listen, we don't know what's going to happen. And she's completely on board. And most of the time she's the one reminding me of this. Right. And she said, uh, you know, if we lose everything, if we lose the job, if we lose the 401k, if we lose the house, if we lose our savings, if we lose the cars, everything, we, what's the worst case scenario? Well, the worst case scenario is I, you know, I figure out a way to pay rent in a one bedroom apartment and to feed our kids beans and rice for a while. But hopefully we're all healthy. And if that's the worst case scenario, we can handle that. And, you know, a lot of people don't have family. Whitney and I both come from strong families. And so that worst case scenario is actually not our worst case scenario. And um, we have a lot of safety nets. And I really admire the people out there uh, that don't have those safety nets and take risks anyways. And that, that is something that just blows me away when I see that. Um, I've been very fortunate um, in my life. And um, a lot of, I look back, I've had decent health in my life. I've had decent financial uh, income in my life. Um, I've, I've also worked for that. And, uh, you know, my, I came from a humble household. My dad worked for a nonprofit his whole life and he, he provided very, very well for us and very proud of him and very proud of that. And, you know, I don't, I'm just like my dad. We didn't fall far from the tree. And there's, there's many days I'm like, I would made a pretty good therapist too. So, and he's, he, he came around and said that a couple of years and meant a lot to me. So, um, I think I got a little off track there, Nathan, but I don't know if that answered that question or not. No, I think that's a, a perfect answer. And I really do appreciate your time. I, we're re recording this after 
uh, another uh, long week in a time of ambiguity and uncertainty. And I appreciate your time. And and I know that you have a lot going on. Uh, For the leaders who are out there, we just want you to know that you're not the only ones thinking about these things. You're not out there by yourself. You have people who understand. And that um, what you do matters. And that what you do right now, um, even if it's a challenging time, it it matters a lot because you're impacting the lives of other people. Um, I'm thankful for this community that's being created through the, the Strata Leadership Show. And this has been the Strata Leadership Show where we connect leaders with each other. We share stories and ideas to make life better for all. If you are, are looking for help, as a, you're looking for an executive coach, if you're looking for training, organizational development, anything that we can serve you with, uh, we would uh, really encourage you to go to strataleadership.com. Uh, Our goal is to serve well, and we hope that you have a great day. Thank you very much.